Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Hey, welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is your host, Jerry Taylor, and this is episode 48. And I'm recording this, well, the intro for this show, not the actual show, but I'm sitting inside a hotel room in Bali and it's pissing down with rain outside and there's palm trees and ocean and swimming pool and all sorts of radness that I can see outside. So this show, like my friend uh, Derek Loudermilk, who has also been featured on the Flow State Performance podcast, he's the host of the Art of, the Art of Adventure podcast, he said, hey, Jira, you've got to interview Johnny Frisch. And I said, why? And he said, because he's a rapper and he's a flow master and he's a rad human being. And I said, he sounds like exactly the sort of person that I want to interview for this podcast. So we made it happen. And um, it was awesome. I deliberately chose to do absolutely no research on my podcast guest, which flies in the face of many blog articles and authorities on the subject. And I just thought, hey, I'm just going to have a flow chat with this dude who I don't know and he doesn't know me. And let's just see what emerges from that place of spontaneity and emergence. So this is it, guys. This is what you're going to discover. This is the chat that emerges. It's a great chat. I really enjoyed it. He's a epic guy and I really respect him for stepping into his power and deciding to choose the creative and authentic path over the path that had been laid down before him. And uh, you'll learn more about this in this interview. We also get to chat a little bit about psychedelics. It's a, it's a rad conversation, guys. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here today with Johnny Frisch. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jiro. It's a pleasure to be on it. Awesome, bro. So help us. Well, first of all, I'll just say to the listeners or the viewers out there that quite intentionally... Um, I've decided to uh, not have very deep conversations with you up until this point and uh, not even look too deeply into what you're doing uh, for the pure intention of allowing this to be quite a spontaneous meeting of the minds. And uh, we'll just see how the conversation flows from there. Um, so I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but that's kind of like my favorite sort of conversation. Is that cool? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like doing it that way. Awesome, brother. So help me understand and help everyone understand, um, you know, let's play the game of labels. Uh, what are some of the labels we can put on you? Um, rapper would be one. That's uh, the primary one right now. And uh, to add a little bit of marketing copy to that, it's explosively quirky hip hop. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, right now, that's pretty much the only label I'm really rocking with. But in the past, I've had raw food teacher slash chef um and then some minor ones you could throw on would be you know web designer and uh video editor and director and some stuff like that cool man and just so we can like because i think i feel like the the human mind likes to be able to uh place people um otherwise we wouldn't just do all these inane conversations so i'm going to play this game a little bit so where are you from and uh where are you right now so I'm originally from Canada, but I'm what they call a third culture kid now, meaning that I spent my whole life in international schools. So I was in Singapore, Belgium, England, back to Canada, uh, and then Bali, and now I'm living in Melbourne. So I, uh, yeah, I say Canada, but I'm not very Canadian. Wow. I don't like hockey. You don't like poutine? I love poutine. I don't like <laughs> hockey. I love maple syrup. So I'm, I'm still partially canadian <laughs> yeah but if you don't like hockey you're really not real canadian hey exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what about justin bieber i assume you're a justin bieber fan love justin bieber <laughs> cool. i always tell people he's my cousin <laughs> don't you see the resemblance <laughs> yeah man you look very much cut from the same cloth uh, yeah very, very much so cool man so you're, in, you're you're obviously you've got an international background you've most most recently been living in bali um, and from what I gather from mutual acquaintances, um, you've been on this sort of burst of creative output. Um, is this creativity, this explosive uh, rap that you've been creating, is this uh, 
a renaissance? Is this something new within you or is this a something that you've been playing with for a long time? Yeah, I've been uh, messing around with rap for about 11 years now. Um, and I originally just started doing it kind of like for fun, like comedy raps. And I do quite a bit of that still. And then, I, you know, I, I did it on and off for a while. And then when I got into raw food in Bali, like I had gone through a lull of creativity in my life uh, due to um, diminishing health. Uh, you know, the tail end of university, I was just living really unhealthy. And I just had that like brain fog on a daily basis and like, you know, lack of energy, just not motivated to do much other than party, which I imagine a fair few amount of university students can relate to. Um, and then when I got into the raw food, it kind of, it cleared a lot of that crap out and it just opened up my creative pathways. And I've always been a creative person in one way or another. And I started rapping again. Um, and that was probably around three and a half years ago now. And since then, yeah, the rap's been, even in that time, it's been on and off. But since I've come to Melbourne, like there was a really big creative burst when I first got here. Um, now I'm working more on some video stuff and because I'm doing a lot of that on my own, the editing, the creativity is slower just because editing is such a long process. Um, but when I first got to Melbourne, I was really cranking out songs. Cool, man. So why, why do you feel this creative burst, um, I guess comes and goes and why, what, what do you think it is in the first place? Like where, what, how do you kind of look at, how do you perceive creativity within you? Yeah, so I've been reading a pretty interesting book now called Refuse to Choose, which is basically um, saying that certain people are wired to always be interested in different things and not focus on one pursuit. And um, I'm still not sure if I identify like 100% with it, but certain aspects definitely do. And for me, it's like if an idea comes to my mind that like I'm really you know inspired by, then like I just want to do something with it right then and there. And so my creative bursts tend to shift. So even when I'm not creating something artistic, chances are, at least when I'm in a good state of health, I'm creating something else like, uh, you know, the raw food. I was doing a lot of food blogging, creating recipes and that kind of stuff. But I think in terms of the creative bursts recently, um, I link it quite a bit to my um, physical and emotional state. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm experiencing some emotional blocks, chances are I'm not going to be as creative on a regular basis. Um, and actually just recently, like I've been saying, you know, I haven't written so many songs in the last probably month and I've been focused on video editing, but also I've had a bit of a, a block um, in this emotional issue that had cropped up between, you know, me and someone else in my life. And we just kind of had a big powwow and sorted it out um, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And now I'm feeling a lot more clear. So I, I'm really actually just seeing that right now, like how closely linked mm. my general emotional state is to my creativity output. Mm. That's an interesting correlation, isn't it? Yeah. And I think uh, when I first got to Melbourne, you know, I, I met a girl that I really liked and she was like very much, you know, playing that role of muse for a while. And I think that was linked to that huge creative output there. Um, you know, and that's a story I've heard so many times. That was the first time I experienced it. But I was like, yeah, like, you know, she just had my heart bursting open and there's just so much stuff coming out. Mm, interesting, man. Yeah, I guess, I guess for me, creativity is implicitly connected with our intuitive self. Because um, it seems to me like, and we can get more into like the whole science and the flow state side of it uh, as we progress the conversation. I'm, I'm sure it will flow that direction. But um, yeah, for me, emotional blockages and emotional expression is 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 this is almost like the same as as creativity. You know, creative blocks or creative expression. You could you could sort of just exchange that word for emotional states. Um, yeah, you see what I mean. Um, but then again, there's obviously a whole load of creative output that comes from people who are in serious angst and pain, isn't there? So I guess that's almost like yeah. a different sort of expression. Yeah, well, I've uh, I've written some songs from those places too. And I think, you know, just because someone's experiencing those, what we might term negative emotions, mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're necessarily blocked. Maybe they're just in that state. So like, I think doing something creative about that is one of the best ways to help it move. Yeah, that's an awesome point, man. So it's not necessarily, this, this, this is something that I 
often talk about. I think it's so valid and uh, overlooked in our culture because we, our culture likes to look at things in quite simple, often binary terms like positive and negative. Yeah. So, so let's, let's be positive and therefore we're not negative. But actually it's nothing to do with that. It's about whether things are being moved and expressed and whether emotions are flowing. This is this, right. like, like those, those painful emotions are just part of the human experience, right? Um, and if you're writing about them or expressing them or talking to someone about them or just feeling them, <laughs> then we are expressing our full humanity. That's, that's the way I yeah. see it. Yeah, for sure. That's a beautiful way to put it. And when I think about it, like, you know, especially that kind of like, you know, golden era of Western music, probably like 60s and 70s in terms of when a lot of like the most popular bands that are still most popular today, like the Stones and the Beatles and, you know, guys like James Brown and stuff, Maybe not James Brown as much. He was very positive. But like Ray Charles would be another example. A lot of their songs are really sad. And like, you know, people identify with that. And I personally really like listening to sad music. Mm, like the, the blues is... Yeah, the doesn't blues. That whole I love genre, Ray Charles. Doesn't that whole genre kind of define a state, an emotional state of feeling right. blue? Yeah. I really heard an, an interesting comparison between blues and country. Uh it was in this movie about, it was really interesting. I don't know, maybe you've seen it. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about an, an Aboriginal soul singer trio. And um, this guy took them to perform on all these like army shows, um, like the USO tour. And he had this one quote about how the reason why he loves blues music and hates country music is because country music they're singing about how sad they are and how they've given up whereas in blues music and soul music they're singing about how sad they are and how they're trying desperately with all their energy to improve their situation <laughs> that's awesome i never yeah. never thought about it like that i never thought of, and i guess like maybe why some of this some some of the more recent genres of music let's say like i don't know what, what what's going on out there at the moment like poppy stuff I guess maybe one of the reasons why it sometimes seems so lacking substance uh, and poppy, like fizzy, is, is because there's a, a lack of emotion there. And you've got like songwriters who are just churning out stuff and giving it to the latest manufactured talent. And it's just stripped bare of all that raw humanity. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's like, I, you may have seen it, there's a Facebook graphic that pops up sometimes and it like puts some Beyonce lyrics next to some Freddie Mercury lyrics. And it's like Freddie Mercury, one writer, Beyonce, six writers. And it's like all the single ladies, all the single ladies over and over again. <laughs> yeah, man. That's funny. Yeah, but it's catchy. It's catchy. It's very catchy. That's what, they're, that's what they're doing. And, you know, they're doing a good job of it. Yeah, man. It's interesting. So different things are becoming catchier. It's almost like, are we, are we dumbing down as a species, Johnny? I mean, I think that top layer of commercial stuff is definitely dumbed down because you know back in the 60s and 70s the top layer of commercial stuff was Beatles and Stones and Dylan and those people so that top layer is dumbed down but I think there's more and more intelligent stuff underneath that top layer mm. and fortunately now we're starting to develop tools where those people can earn a living as a musician without necessarily being a rock star um, and that's one of the things I'm excited about is that kind of development like the new commercial tools that are available online for artists to make like 80 grand a year and live a reasonable life and make music all the time instead of having to be like a starving artist or like a millionaire rock star with no in between. Okay, let's talk about this. This this interests me. So what you're basically talking about is a paradigm shift which has been created through technology um, and I guess like accessibility of content, like interconnectedness. But what else is driving this this sort of leveling of the playing field that you're talking about? I think there's a big um, – it's just kind of starting, but I think there's another um, like state of consciousness shift for a lot of – like I guess you could call them consumers in that they want to support artists again. You know, there was that boom period in the – I think it was the late 90s to early 2000s. That was when like the record sales peaked. And then right after that, Napster came out and everyone just kind of was like, whoa, I don't need to pay for music anymore. And it yeah. just dropped. And now with the streaming services, the big companies are starting to be able to monetize it again. But at the same time, because artists are so easily able to get their stuff out to their fans, 
and they don't have to give a cut to these big companies. I think a lot of people are like, hey, I can support them and I know the money is going right to them, so I want to give them money. Whereas in the past, they were like, I have to buy records because I want to listen to music. Now I don't have to. I don't necessarily want to give $13 to a record label and the musician get $2. Like the, the proportions were out of whack. And mm-hmm. I think people knew that. So they were like, I don't feel guilty because most of this money's not going to the artist anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you feel like uh, the record labels could become obsolete? Like are there any like big bands who are just purely independent? Um, there's some really like quite thriving artists that are independent um, and they tend to start their own labels anyways. So I don't think record labels will become obsolete. I think, and they already have started, they're just shifting roles. Like in the past they were distribution quite a bit and now it's mostly promotion because distribution is easy and it's, you know, the artists can take care of that themselves. So I think they'll get smaller. I think the big, record labels eventually they're going to become obsolete and it's going to be a much more even playing field but they're also doing a good job of keeping themselves in the game like a lot of those big companies own shares in Spotify and SoundCloud and stuff Um, so they've caught up and they know they know what the future is but I still think that you know they're going to get dropped eventually. So it seems like this 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 is an amazing thing for the for the grassroots or, or for any sort of creative person who wants to connect with an audience. It seems like this is a fantastic shift that's underway. Um, it's it almost seems like a, a it's almost like a cultural revolution in the sense that it's a democratizing. You know, it's 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 it. You don't have to be a you know, a billionaire or have the right connections or play the game. You can just do your own thing, be an artist and connect with somebody who wants to consume directly. Right. Exactly. And how are you how are you doing this? How how are you talk to me about your your journey exploring this and and how you're finding this journey of connecting with an audience? That's something that is still like um it's still kind of eluding me. Um I'm really working on it. And it still hasn't happened to the level I want to. Um, so I think in general, artists tend to find like one platform that really works for them and focus on that. Um, and I think that's something that's common in a lot of social media is they're like one platform yeah. that works the best for each entrepreneur or whatever. Yeah. And I haven't necessarily found that. Um, you know, I've tried the usual stuff like asking questions and trying to get my you know, people listen to my music involved in the process by asking them for ideas for songs and stuff. Um, and it's just not something that that's happened so far. Like I tend to get pretty good response when I release my videos, but other than that, it hasn't really happened. So I'm not really in a great place to speak on that. Um, but like, I will say that I've studied people who do a good job of that. And like, you know, one of the key things I hear coming up over and over again is responding individually to every single person that like comments on their videos and stuff. Um, and also just like, yeah, having a community created around their music instead of making this like, um, you know, artist fan relationship, it's like, they're my community of supporters. Mm -hmm. So it's a new concept to me and I'm still working on it. Um, but it's something that I feel passionate about and makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, man. It's, I think it's an interesting time that we're living in, um, to explore these things. And I, and I'm, and I'm in the same position. Like I, I sometimes I ask myself all the time, like, what's what's the point of highest connection and deepest connection? How how can you how can we use all these tools at our disposal to 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 reach people? And um, it you know it baffles me. Like, you'll get something that you just comes out of left field, and just forty million people share it, and yeah. and then that's it. And you're just like, what the fuck? That guy's just some <laughs> weird North Korean dude who looks like Kim Jong-il and like making an average song about something and doing this cool dance. And uh, <laughs> then he's like, then he's like the most watched human on the planet like for the next month. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel you. I've had that thought many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I remember this one, this one thing that went viral a few years ago. Uh, what does the fox say? Do you remember that Bro. thing? God, uh, dude, I guess you haven't seen, but I did a lip sync battle version of that. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll link it. We'll link it up. We'll, yeah. We'll link it up for that. It was like, my and I was like, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go on. 
I was like, I had no idea what people were going to think of it. Um, so I actually put it as my first song in the battle because that was a free pass. And it turned out to be my most popular song. <laughs> and then my my least popular song was the one I picked for the final round. And I realized afterwards it was just because I had beard hubris. I picked, um, you know, the Australian band, The Beards. Uh, yes. I picked a song by them, You Should Consider Having Sex with a Bearded Man. And all the guys in the audience with beards found it was funny, but no one else did. Oh, niche humor, man. Niche humor. Yeah. So you, you got people love what the fuck say. And I was like, what the hell? Because I didn't get it at all. And I was like, I'm just going to throw this in there as a wild card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like my, there's obviously something universally appealing to like, I don't understand it either. But what I can tell you is that my nephews, like they were two, two years old and four years old at the time, but they would just demand they would say, put it on, put it on. What does the fox say? And then we put it on and then we'd all just jump around the room for, for like five minutes um, while it was on. And then they'd just want it on and on again and we'd have to pretend that we couldn't get it on again um, because it was making, <laughs> our, it was making our ears bleed. Um, but what is that? Is, is somebody like, one day someone's going to crack the code to what, to what that you know, musical cocaine is that uh, you know, makes something so unlikely become such a smash hit i don't know yeah. what it is yeah that's a that's a tough one i i learned about the song in a very similar way like my friend has like daughters that were i think like nine and eleven at the time and they showed it to me and yeah they just loved it and i was like i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> johnny i want to i want to explore um the, the creative process for you and just to give you some some, some or just to give the listeners some background um I was super interested to get Johnny on the show. One of the reasons was because um, I know that he's a rapper. He's, he's, a, he's a creative artist. He's a rapper. And there's been um, a, one of the most interesting studies into flow states and creativity uh, was a research project where they actually invited uh, freestyle rappers uh, to come in. And they got them all wired up to electrodes um, on their brains. And they had one group, uh, one, they did one test where they gave the rappers um, a piece of paper with lyrics on them. And the, and the rappers, they, they laid a beat and then the rappers just, just read the words. And they studied the data, what their brain was doing. And then in the next case, obviously it was a freestyle uh, rapping. So they, they were just like spontaneous um, creating on the fly um, in the flow state. And flow obviously is a is a big word for me. And flow for rappers is you know it's got its own meaning, right? Um, yeah. So, so talk to me about what flow means, um, you know, as a as a as a rapper. Yeah, there's um there's something special about getting into a flow state with freestyling. It's um a skill that I'm not an expert at, but um I'm all right. Like I I'm confident enough to get up on stage and pretty much any situation and you know rap off the top of my head and um yeah like when it when something comes out that's like it feels like you know it's coming from somewhere else because it's impossible for me to think while I'm freestyling mm -hmm. so I am in some you know state of presence um I know some freestylers are like good enough at it and they've got like patterns kind of loaded in because they've done it so much that they can actually think one or two or four lines ahead mm -hmm. like there's a couple guys in Melbourne that are like just incredible at it um and seeing those guys flow is on another level but I think the average freestyler is in a similar situation to me where they they can't really think so far ahead and it just this state of like you know blissful um presence and creativity um and it's it's something that um also for a lot of people means really embracing and like conquering a fear because that thought of like oh my god like i'm gonna like rap stuff and i'm not thinking about it first like there's no buffer so it's like i could say something really embarrassing and stuff um so it's really special it's it's mm. hard to explain um, mm. until you experience it yourself. But um, it's very different from writing, I can say that much. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's ex tell me more. So for me, and I'm not sure if this is like this with everyone, my writing is like much more meticulous and crafted and slower. Uh, like it'll often take me 
you know, an hour to write, um, you know, 16 lines. And that's a standard verse. So for me, I definitely try to get as flowing as possible when I'm writing. And because of uh, the style of songs that I often write, which are very um, concept based a lot of the time, it's very, very much like I'm thinking every line and there's not so much like coming to me. Um, I do it in different ways. So like I definitely make sure to write songs where that is coming to me, where I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to like let it flow um, and I'll just kind of write and stuff like that. And those tend to be more like freestyle, like fun, often nonsensical writings. But for me, my writing style when I'm writing my concept songs, which is a lot of my music, I've got some, I've got a few main techniques that I use to make sure that I get out what I want to say. Cause it's really hard to condense, you know, this complex topic and like emotion in, you know, two verses. It's a small amount of time. Um, and I think one of the best skills is being able to deliver something that's impactful and also like a lot of information, but in a concise manner. So I'll have like, for instance, um, sometimes I'll do something like really structured and I'll like plan out the verse and I'll say, what do I want to say in this verse? What do I want to say in that word verse? What do I want to say in this verse? And then I've got the hook as well. And I'm like, what's the hook saying? Yeah. And I've planned it before I start writing any lines. And other times it'll be a little bit more free flowing in that I'll just have a concept and then I'll write some themes and some words and some ideas and maybe like a couple of um, lines that I've already written that I think would fit into the song. And I'll just have that kind of all on the paper. Mm -hmm. And then I'll start writing and I'll kind of let the ideas flow together mm -hmm. and let the story develop as I write. Mm -hmm. So I have different levels of like yeah. flowiness to my writing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So I've, I've asked this question about how someone um, creates the, the playground for them to creatively flow within. And I've spoken to uh, artists, I've spoken to neuroscientists as well. And there's this one dude, um, I'll link it up in the show notes, but he's a professor at, at Princeton and he's a neuroscientist, but he also happens to be a ventriloquist, a novelist and a composer. So he's like a boss when it comes to creativity, <laughs> but he's also a boss when it comes to understanding his brain. And what he does is something very similar to what you just described. And he calls it, he calls it front loading the thinking phase so that you can flow ah. when you're doing it. So, so basically flow is a, is a non-thinking state. So right. you described it perfectly when you're talking about freestyle rapping. You said you're not thinking. These things are coming from your subconscious. That's why it's so rapid and, and effortless. But when you're actually trying to uh, compose a song where you're trying to put complex stuff into a very small um, space, then obviously that does require cognitive firepower. That does require you to think, you know, you have to analyze one word against another. You have to analyze one sentence structure against another. And it does require your full intelligence. And so that's where a flow state, like technically defined flow state, would not actually be a desirable state to come up with mm -hmm. that stuff. Because uh, you wouldn't be using the totality of your, of your prefrontal cortex. So the most effective way to do something like that would be to preload the, the thinking phase, get all that heavy lifting done, like what you're doing. You're creating a, um, like a, like a structure. Um, you're getting in the, the topics, the hook, a couple of lines that you've pre-written before. Um, you've got a little bit of a journey. And then within that, once you've got that all sorted within that, then you can flow. Then you can start to mm. start to play around in there. Um, there's actually an amazing app that you might, I wish, I wish I, I'm going to have to sort out some sort of affiliate payment for this, but, uh, the app is, <laughs> the app is called flow state and, and it's a, uh, it's an iOS app and it's a writing app. And basically you got, you start writing and if you, if you stop writing and don't carry on writing, it starts deleting the words. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, man. Brutal. Wow. It's brutal. It's like, it's like write or lose it all. <laughs> huh. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's actually something I've started doing. Um, after I listened to a podcast, one of Derek's where he got a guy on who specialized in kind of getting ideas flowing. And one of the things he liked to do was free writing where he would say, just write, it doesn't matter what you write and just kind of get it out and like 
-hmm. I think get out a bunch of the crap that's sitting in there and then it's easier to get into a flow state and like have ideas coming that are more like from intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do that sometimes, but the thought of my words getting deleted is terrifying to me. Like I still have every single rap I've ever written on my computer. Like I'm very organized and I like terrified of losing something. I might uh, use that line one day. You just got to keep writing then. Like that's, <laughs> it's just like, it's just developing uh, a new condition response to seeing a page in front of you. So basically it's, it's, it's training you to, to do stream of consciousness type stuff. So okay. it, it could be something that's, that's just useful in certain situations. Like if you, um, you know, if, if, if you just wanted to see what you could do in a limited period of time, for example, if you're like, right, right. I'm going to see if I can, I can recreate the, uh, me being in front of an audience with a microphone in my hand with a freestyling, I'm going to see if I can recreate that on a, on a, on a screen with words mm. written. That might be an interesting experiment for you to try out. Yeah, it does sound very interesting. There's a few rappers that are are known for never writing anything down. Um, I don't know if like I've ever heard of it being confirmed, but it's kind of like urban myth. So like Jay Z's one of them, and Lil Wayne is another. And so, in theory, those guys just freestyle, and then when they have lines that they like, they just like pick them out, and they're like, okay, now I'm gonna stick that in a song, and then they like construct it all in their mind, which is like to me, like otherworldly. Wow. It is otherworldly in a sense, but it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting to consider the actual potential of our brains. You know, yeah. we, we like, we take in an incredible amount of information. It's something like 2 million bits of information every single day. Um, but our conscious mind can only process a tiny, tiny, tiny fragment of those. But all the information that we take in is, is stored within our vast subconscious. So really it's, it's, it's otherworldly, but really it's, it's like what is the key to accessing my subconscious at will. And you know, when, right. you, when you watch things like Rain Man or you read about um, autism um, or people who've got those, who, who can remember like entire decks of cards and photographic memories and things like that, um, I, I watched a document, a mini documentary on some guy who's like, who's uh, autistic and he, and he learned Icelandic, uh, which apparently is like one of the hardest languages to learn. And, uh, he set himself a challenge to learn it in like a week. And then he went on to like some, the biggest like TV show in Iceland. Um, and these presenters, it was all in Icelandic and they were just asking him questions and he was just like reeling off fluent Icelandic to these people. <laughs> and they were just like could not believe what was going on. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, so, so this guy, like, yes, he's got a very high IQ, but it's not like, um, you know, it's still within the realms of, you know, he's still, he's, he's still, a, he's still a relatively normal human being, but um, it's, it's just um, he's got a key to a, to a different door, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, it's funny you mention uh, memorizing the deck of cards. Have you ever heard of a guy named Josh, Joshua Foer? I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. He wrote a book called Moonwalking with Einstein, and he basically learned how to be the world's best memorizer in a year. And now he's like, he can remember, he basically learned an entire language, um, a pygmy language that's also notoriously difficult to learn in like a month or something. And he is not using the subconscious, I don't think. Um, he's using very like specific memory techniques um, the biggest one being called the memory palace. So now he can memorize a deck of cards in a, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. But like a year ago, he couldn't do it at all. And he basically just learned all these techniques. And there's these guys that they call they call themselves memory athletes. And they basically just know how to memorize stuff um, really well. So that's, Memory yeah. athletes. Wow. Memory athletes. Book's really good. Moonwalking with Einstein. All right. I'll link it up. Moonwalking with Einstein. That sounds fascinating, man. So tell me what else. Uh, tell me what else you've been reading or exploring. Um, you, you're you're an interesting guy, Johnny. So what what other things kind of are passions or interests or weird sort of um, kind of like subcultural stuff that you don't tell many people apart from you know <laughs> your, your beard fetish, which is quite obvious. <laughs> yeah, I love I love shouting that one from the rooftops. Um, <laughs> whew drawing a bit of a blank. I'm sure there's something. Um, 
Well, what was the last book you read? Um, I'm reading Refuse to Choose right now. I was talking a little bit about that before. Um, before that, I was reading, um, oh, the name, The Obstacle is the Way by uh, Ryan Holiday. You've heard of it? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so it's Stoicism. Yeah. Um, and that very much interests me. Um, like the Stoic philosophy is something that's interested me for a while. And um, yeah, I definitely want to dig deeper into that. So I've got Marcus Aurelius's book. Um, man, titles are just not coming to my brain right now. No, 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 that's cool. I, 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 yeah. Another tangent that I wanted to explore, man. Um, so a lot of people who are listening, a lot of people in my life um, have been, have, have created these labels around rap and hip hop music. Um, and they put it in the box of uh, what they see as commercial rap or hip hop, and so it's associated yeah. with gangs and bling and you know violence or denigration of women or whatever it might be um, that that genre, that subgenre, um, might speak to. Um, but I know that there is obviously a, a vast amount of extremely intelligent and um, highly literate, skillful. Um, rap out there um, and I've listened to bits and bobs in, in my lifetime I've had friends who have been like real aficionados and they've said Jerry you've got to listen to this um, but what a talk to me a little bit about that who have been some of the influences in your life number one influence is George Watsky um, if you ask me from a lyrical perspective like he's on another level um, he has this insane ability to create these like almost like yeah, verse long metaphors that just like perfectly explain this very esoteric yet relatable life experience. Um, all, all the while rapping at like a hundred miles a minute. Like that's what he's known for is his ability to rap really fast. Um, so he's my number one. Uh, he also comes from, I think a similar background to me. And, you know, I think when you talk about commercial rap and people kind of looking at it, like, uh, you know, it's like guns and drugs and rap and stuff. That's just like not a lot of people's experiences. You know, most people don't grow up in that situation, but a lot of people do. And so they relate to it. Um, so for me, finding rappers that come from a similar background and like have experiences similar to mine, that's a really important thing. So George Watsky's number one. Mm. Um, I like a guy named Chris Webby as well. Um, and he's a little bit more kind of towards your like mainstream stuff like you know drugs and partying and stuff but it's a little bit more kind of towards where I felt I was in university like it's kind of like a, a college kid vibe like you know going to parties and playing beer pong and stuff so I used to listen to that quite a bit um my favorite one of my favorite rappers like I, I consider myself having two favorite rappers George Watsky now and Roots Maneuva like mm -hmm. from the past um though he's still making music and it's still great um he to me is like kind of like uh, this sort of like he he describes it best himself. He says, "I'm not a rapper. I'm a psychic link to a parallel world." Oh wow! Um, yeah, and he just it feels like that's the case. So he's just like it's so esoteric, and he's making up all these concepts, and he's drawing a lot on like his um, Jamaican roots. So like a lot of it's totally unrelatable to me, but it's just so beautiful and artistic, and like it does feel like he's, you know, bringing me something from another dimension. Um, really? So I really like that, you know, he's very mind opening. Like when I listen to Roots Maneuva, it's like, it's almost like being on psychedelics. Can you link, um, after this, can, can you send us a link to like a song that encapsulates what you just said? And, I can, uh, yes. And we'll, we'll put it in the show notes because I'll be very interested to explore that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about psychedelics, seeing as you mentioned it. Um, have you had any experiences with psychedelics yourself? I have, I have, um, mushrooms quite a bit, um, especially in university. Um, and then I've also done it, um, more consciously in the last couple of years, last few years, um, more like medicine style. And then ayahuasca once as well. Um, I think those are the only psychedelics I've done. In Bali? Yeah. yeah um, Yeah. Both of those in Bali. And how, um, talk to me about when you just said more consciously, like what's, obviously I understand what you're saying, but, but, but help everyone understand what you mean by that distinction. 
So, you know, the unconscious, I suppose you could say, version is quite well known. It's like, hey, guys, let's pop some mushrooms and hang out kind of thing um, and just do whatever. Um, the conscious one, for me, I think, um, and my friend probably gave me this, um, the most important thing is to have an intent because, you know, according to native traditions, those things are more medicine than recreational, you know, tools for fun. And they're incredibly valuable gateways into the deepest parts of us where we may store our emotional wounds. And so if I set an intention to explore something in particular, like, you know, for instance, my relationship with my mother, something like that, then it's very likely that it'll come up on my trip and I'll be able to see things from a way that I haven't been able to see because the psychedelics open my mind up to different viewpoints that like I just can't access right now um, you know in a normal state um, I'm not that skilled from what I understand there are some people who are like you know apparently monks can uh, can kind of access those sorts of states um, if their mind is strong enough yeah so like it's been very valuable doing it like that with some people who are experienced doing it like that in mm -hmm. Bali and Ubud is full of those kinds of people so uh, hopefully I still know some that are there and I can uh, introduce you to some some good people over there um so when talk, you visit talk to me about the role of because i know exactly what you're talking about having uh gone down that route myself quite quite frequently in the last few years and um for me the, the conscious application of plant medicines in a ceremonial setting with clear intention has actually been a very key part of my transformation from living a fearful and insecure life um, to living a life where I feel there's abundance and, you know, I'm kind of directing my life towards everything that brings me love and joy and those sorts of things. And then when I look at your life, um, having not known you for very long, but just on the surface level in terms of, you know, when we had the discussion about labels, um, you were previously identified with being um, a business owner and what I know is that you've sold this business and now from what I can see you're going wholeheartedly into pursuing a passion of the heart i.e. something creative that, that, that is almost difficult to articulate but you, re you really are following your heart on this one aren't you? I am, yeah it's uh, following my joy as well like mm -hmm. really uh, performing especially brings me so much joy compared to anything else. Like right now, I can't think of anything that brings me more. Mm, beautiful, man. So this, the, the, how did you, how did you get there? So, so presumably, so there's a lot of people out there, um, and maybe many people listening right now who are in a position where they feel stuck by something and they might have an idea or they might have no idea of what the future holds, uh, but they know that they don't want to spend the rest of their life doing what they're currently doing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, and you were in that position, I was in that position, and what I'd like to, to just gently explore is some, some, of the, some of the ways, something that could be useful to somebody who's in that previous position. Um, is there anything that you could share that helps you uh, break out of that position to what you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, um, I would probably say like the the most valuable thing that I've had is a, a nothing to lose attitude. Mm. It's like I can go for it and I can fail and then who cares? Then I can start, start over, start something else. Um, and it's like embracing fear is really probably the most important part of that. Um, no doubt, like I've had a ton of self-doubt about going full-fledged into music because it's one of the most competitive industries. Um, and like, to be totally honest, like I'm, I pretty much like haven't been able to do it with the times that I gave myself and now I'm gonna have to go start working. Um, mm -hmm. I gave myself pretty much like six months to a year before I would have to start working. Um, and it's a pretty small time frame to create a career in music, 
but I've made some big advances and like, I don't regret it one bit. Like being able to focus fully on it for six months, eight months is a really amazing opportunity. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, even though logically I knew the chances of that happening, of me creating like an income stream from music in eight months was tiny. I was like, I need to go for it. Like, this is what I want to do right now. And it doesn't matter if I fail because that's what I want to do right now. Mm. Um, and it's like, if I don't do it, I might have huge regrets. If I do it and I fail, I'm going to learn some stuff along the way. I'm probably going to meet some awesome people. I'm going to have some really incredible experiences. And like, especially in the last six months, I've had some amazing experiences related to music, um, especially music videos that like, I just, you know, I can't really like put a value on them. Like they're just, they're invaluable. Um, and I think jumping into that fear is really where the value comes. And to tie it back into psychedelics, actually like doing mushrooms, um, consciously i've been able to embrace like fear in a way that i don't think i've ever done in any other manner um sometimes when i do mushrooms i encounter this dark period during the trip where it's like i feel like i'm losing myself entirely and like in the past like i've freaked out and like run away from that it's what most people would probably call a bad trip but actually the way i view it now is that it's actually a valuable experience Um, You know, there's traditions, particularly looking at like Buddhist traditions where like they want to eliminate the self, right? They want to peel away all the layers. And I think that is actually kind of like a a shortcut into that experience just for a short period of time. And so I've made one of my intentions on a couple of mushroom journeys to try and go into that as deep as possible. And I remember one time specifically, I got real deep in there and it was fucking terrifying But when I got in there, I felt like I was like scraping crud out of like the deepest depths of my soul. And it was just like emotional wounds. And I was just like getting a shovel and just like going. And and yeah, I think that kind of experience has helped me jump into fear because comparatively other things seem much less scary now. (laughs) That's awesome. I didn't know you were going to say that at the end. So yeah. <laughs> it was so fucking scary. That other shit just terrifying. doesn't seem scary no more. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, brother. Well, I just I just came back from my bucks do or what you called your bachelor's party. Um yeah. two or three weeks ago. And um I went and uh had a did ceremony work with, with a with a shaman and nine of my friends and uh involving San Pedro um and also DMT. And uh, yeah, a couple of the guys had, you know, really semi-traumatic experiences um of not understanding what was going on and and um you know feeling afraid and and even like still figuring out how to integrate into their lives so for anyone listening out there look we're not talking about these um substances as being some sort of panacea or some sort of quick fix to some higher state of consciousness or some easy route to living a life with less fear far from it i think as um johnny's helped us understand that this ain't easy work um, this is real, real tough work and it's emotional work. And sometimes it takes you to places that you have avoided for your entire life. And you're going to go there and you're going to go there hard and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to heal, but you've got to have a certain amount of courage and commitment to actually face up to that sort of stuff that you, you've been running away from for your entire life. So, um, please yeah. don't take this lightly. Yeah, for sure. And I would also add to that, you know, you talk about there being a shaman there. I think having people there that are more experienced with it and are like ready to help if need be is super important. So like, you know, I had done mushrooms plenty of times and I'd actually been fortunate enough, even in my recreational days to have a friend that I did them with who was like uh, studying counseling psychology. And he would often kind of put me on the couch, so to speak, like during our sessions, like not intentionally, but it happened. So I was kind of building up um, subconsciously. And then I had a friend in Ubud who I also did a lot of like personal work with. He was somewhat of a mentor uh, for me and he was there and he was experienced. And like there were some times when I had some really difficult situations and like he kind of like helped me through them. So like having someone there and that's like one of the roles that the shaman plays, um, super important because if no one's there who knows how to deal with it, then 
bad things can happen. Great point, Johnny. And anyone listening out there who has had their curiosity piqued by this sort of stuff, um, yeah, keep in, keep in touch with me because there is something in the pipeline where we're going to be creating a very safe space with very experienced people um, to give um, other people with the right intentions um, this opportunity to explore this, this world of plant medicine work. But what I'd also finally add is that I, I see any sort of hallucinogenic plant medicine work, first of all, I put this in the category of an altered state of consciousness and I put meditation in the same category as creating an altered state of consciousness, flow states, the same thing. Um, so it's, it, this, this all fits within the container of exploring one's consciousness. And if you're on the path of exploring your consciousness, then plant medicine work, ayahuasca, San Pedro, mushrooms is not the first or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth place you start to start exploring your consciousness you know you you start by yourself with just silence you go to nature you contemplate things you read about meditation you open a book or two about Taoism, buddhism the mind stoicism whatever it is you look at philosophy down the ages and gradually as you deepen your sense of self-awareness then my belief is that the, the, the signs will show themselves and the timing will feel right for you to explore that next step. And it feels like, do you, do you, does that resonate with you, Johnny? Yeah, 100%. And then I also think, wow, like that is something that in our society we have got totally flipped, right? Like there's so many kids who their first experience with expanded consciousness and altered states of consciousness is doing drugs, as people call them, or like plant medicines. So that was my scenario for mm. sure. Like, you know, first time I did mushrooms, I was like 16 or 17 and I had never opened a book on Buddhism or meditated or anything. And then it's like this very kind of harsh introduction or can be. Um, and like, it would probably be better if kids got to learn a little bit more about some of that, you know, easier stuff first. Totally. Um, so I wish I had, cause then totally. I could have used it better. Um, like probably the first 20, 30 times I've done mushrooms a lot. <laughs> uh, we're kind of, we're kind of like wasted in, in a way, For like sure. they were amazing experiences, but also like there could have been more value to them. For sure. It's, it's like, it's like going to this, um, amazing land, jungle, wilderness, whatever. And, 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 and having no guide and no map. And you go right. there and you just go around in circles. You don't know what you're there to see. You don't know what the profundity of, of it is. You don't know what the opportunity is versus going there with a, an experienced guide, i.e. yourself, um, your more educated, aware self, and ideally with a shaman or an experienced friend or a community. Um, it's entirely different. You get such a different experience out of this sort of thing. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know we were going to talk about that stuff. That just, <laughs> that just shows you what happens when you go with the flow, brother. Um, yeah. yeah. I kind of had a feeling it was because I listened to the one with your episode that you just did with um, the Movement Monk guy. And I was like, I have a feeling those, that's going to come up. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it hasn't come up recently for, for a little while. I had a, I, I, I'm actually been writing quite a few pieces um, on my first ayahuasca experiences and also some San Pedro experiences. And it's, um, you know, I, I do feel like this sense of responsibility on how to release this content to the world. Um, I do feel like I have to be very, very mindful of, um, of, of the tone and because what, you know, what would be harmful is, is if people saw these medicines as, 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 as an easy way out or as some form of escapism. Um, or yeah, I guess like they, they, they see it as a panacea. So like, um, you know, a way to avoid doing deep self-awareness, self-knowledge work. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to frame all of this in the, in, in a responsible, in a responsible way. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what do you feel like about, I mean, even, but, and, and this is one thing that I've been really thinking about, Johnny, and I, let's have a chat about this, but I've been thinking about how 
there is nothing in our society that shows us how how sharply how how massively we are socially conditioned beings than this than the whole discussion around drugs yeah like for sure it's it's such a strong condition response to say drugs are bad and and then lump all of these diverse things like ranging from you know like I mean, the whole discussion is completely ridiculous because we pop paracetamols and we drink Red Bull, uh, or some people do, and most of us pump caffeine into our veins, um, and most of us are putting a, a wide variety of mind-altering substances on our food without even thinking that they are subtly conscious-altering conscious substances. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's pretty absurd. Um, and I think it's like, to me that look on like when you talk to someone who's uncomfortable with the discussion, that kind of like uneasy, like queasy feeling that I anticipate, like that I expect that they're having around the subject of drugs. Like that's a perfect example of that conditioning. It's like, it's been demonized for so long in so many ways that it is hammered in. And I think like it's starting to like finally get, you know, the creases are starting to get, wrinkled out like people are starting to be more open to discussing it mm. and i think um the next step is adding the scientific background to it which legitimizes it and i, mm. I remember you talked to uh to wim briefly about this how that's what he's doing next mm -hmm. so i think it's on it's on the way like it's coming soon because yeah like lumping something like adderall in the discussion with mushrooms like it makes no sense like i've done adderall as well do you know adderall yeah it's like, like what is it? it's like a study aid. Study drug. Yeah. The fact that they give that stuff to children is horrendous. Like I've never felt worse on a drug in my entire life. Like it's just it makes the body feel awful. It is really good for studying. I will say that. Like it got me, you know, passing some university exams that I had no business passing. But the body feels terrible. Like incredible amounts of dehydration like jitteriness mm. the only thing that it helps with is allowing the mind to focus or mm. enhancing the mind's ability to focus on stuff that's not interesting mm. like that's why people do it so that they can focus on crap that they don't like otherwise how, they would never be yeah. able to focus on it how how insane is it that we it's have a society crazy. we have a society that that creates artificially manufactured chemical substances puts them in a bottle puts a label on them, gets them passed by the FDA and then gives them to children. But yet we've got the society that can look at the substances that nature has given us that have been used for thousands of years in ceremonial work to actually solve the problems that we most need to solve, i.e. the problems of an over-anxious, overactive mind and an and a ego that's wildly out of control. And yet we put negative connotations upon these naturally occurring medicinal substances and we allow our kids to consume that shit. I just, it baffles me. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. Cool, brother. Well, we're going to wrap up the discussion right there because we've been, we've been, um, we've been freestyling for um, 55 minutes already. Time flies when you're in flow. I've really enjoyed our conversation, man. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, I really get a sense of um, you being on this journey, and I and I I honor your courage, man. Um, I know that it's not a, it's never a linear path, bro. But I sense that you're embracing the struggle. I sense that you're um, you're. What I love is just like you're ex you're, you're savoring the experience of life beyond the comfort zone, and um, you know, hey, maybe that's what I'm going to title this show. Um, <laughs> that's a good title yeah that's where you're living like you, you made a decision to confront your comfort zone to look at fears face on and then go through it and now you're you're experiencing life and no one can ever take that away from you no probably most of my like memorable experiences were with with you know outside my comfort zone or at least started there mm, I love it man cool well um, where can people find and listen to some of your creations um, everything's all in one place at my website. That's freeshrap.com. That's like fresh, but with two E's. Um, yeah. And then if people want to support the creation of my work, my Patreon page is the place to go. So that's patreon.com slash Johnny Freesh. Nice. And we'll put links 
all to all of that on the show notes, and we'll put links to the books and the musical artists that we have mentioned. And um, yeah, guys, give uh, give Johnny some love. Check out his work. He's got some wildly creative uh, music videos, guys. Like real, like mind opening, jaw dropping stuff. Like not ordinary uh, creations. So really. Go check it out and share the love, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Johnny. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I wish you all the best, brother. Take care. Right on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with me and Johnny Frisch, a flow chat if ever there was one. I had no idea what we were going to talk about when uh, he came on that show. But uh, yeah, we spoke about a few things like creativity. Um, I think that there's a awesome way of approaching creativity um, and really front-loading the thinking phase so that we can step into our flow state. And if you want to learn more about that, check out the Michael Graziano flow state episode. Just just put in Graziano in the search bar of the flowstatecollective.com website. Um, I love the chat we had about ayahuasca and San Pedro and different psychedelic healing modalities with uh, Johnny. I really feel like he gets it um, and I hope you guys get it too. I'm recording this um, from Bali, and by the time you listen to this, it will be at least two days after I have, I have got married to uh, my fiance Maria. So um, please send me your blessings and um, send me your love. And this is the penultimate podcast before I take a little break to, to really immerse into this period of honeymooning, adventure mooning, and immersion into my practice and my surfing. Um, so... Tune in next week, guys. There's going to be another final episode, which is actually going to be an interview uh, of me by a friend, Michael Carbone. And uh, we hope to see you. Hope to uh, can't wait for you to tune in to the next week's episode for the Flow State Performance Podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.